We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we look at pop culture from a Jewish perspective and look at Judaism through the prism of pop culture. As always, we are your hosts. I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. And I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And today we are talking about the new film based on the Broadway musical of the same name, In the Heights. Jesse, you want to tell us a little bit about In the Heights? I'm the number one earner, the fastest learner. My boss can't keep me on the damn back burner. I'm making moves. I'm making deals. But guess what, Mike? You still ain't got no skills. You're welcome. Yikes. You're welcome. Yikes. Hey, uh, Lynn, if you want to cast me in your next musical, hit me up. DM me. I am sure that will solve Lin-Manuel's problems with representation. (laughs) Uh, So In the Heights, based on the Broadway musical, which I saw in 2010 on Broadway, is really the the story of uh, the main character, Usnavi, who is the owner of a bodega, and his barrio, really. It's the story of his community uh, in one block of the Washington Heights Inwood neighborhood. Uh, love that neighborhood, know it well. Uh, my wife used to teach us the Washington Heights, work at the Washington Heights Y. Uh, I, for many years of high, of college and rabbinical school, taught at Hebrew Tabernacle, uh, which is one of the few at the time, I believe was the only reform synagogue left in Washington Heights, uh, which is also, it's not represented in the film, but also that's where Yeshiva University is. And outside of this barrio, there's a, also a, a large Jewish presence. Uh, but it's the story of Usnavi and, and acknowledging- And I, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, during uh, high school, I uh, um, uh, taught through a program called Peace by Peace, uh, Nonviolent Conflict Resolution at a uh, public school in Washington Heights as well. So it's a neighborhood near and dear to my, my heart, uh, arguably, uh, we're living in Morningside Heights, uh, in, uh, in New York city, you know, we're, we're, uh, just a stone's throw away from Washington Heights, uh, which is also where Yeshiva university is. Yes. Um, you, you know, this story is really of Uznavi talking about the ever-changing reality of the neighborhood. Uh, it's not focused on as much in the movie as it is in the play and the Broadway musical, but it's a story of the gentrification of the neighborhood and people feeling like they can't belong. They don't belong. They're, they're uh, priced out. Uh, You see that specifically with uh, Daniela uh, who owns the salon moving to grand concourse in the Bronx. Um, You have a story of the main characters of uh, Kevin Rosario, played by uh, President Matthew Santos, Jimmy Smith, uh, who owns great Rosario, Jimmy Smith, who owns uh, the Rosario uh, car service uh, tax cab company, uh, and uh, you you have. I, buy, I, I, I by the way think of him more as uh, Bail Organa, Senator Bail Organa, than than uh, President fair. Matthew Santos. But he's he's played a lot of dignitaries. So uh, <laughs> um, Benny works for him and. 
uh, had a fling with his daughter, Nina. Nina's the one who got out, as they call her, right? She was a success story, got out of Un Barrio and was at Stanford. Uh, she didn't want to continue at Stanford because she felt out of place as a Latina. She felt uh, there was an instance that she brought up about racial profiling, and she felt hard to balance, still wanting to go back and be part of the neighborhood while still excelling. You have uh, Sunny, who's Usnavi's younger cousin. I guess he's still in high school. Uh, in the in the movie, Sonny is a dreamer. He is an undocumented immigrant. And that storyline plays out uh, a cameo by Mark Anthony, who plays his father. Uh, and you, it's really Usnavi and uh, has this thing, this crush on Vanessa. Vanessa wants to move out of Washington Heights and get a studio in the village in downtown New York, become a fashion designer. And the whole story really takes place. And of course, Abuela, who is the abuela of the whole neighborhood, um, the, the whole story takes place over uh, three or four days. Don't, don't, forget, don't forget, by the way, a, a, a cameo also by Lin-Manuel Miranda himself as uh, the Paragua oh, yes. guy who's getting pushed out by, you know, the Mr. Softy conglomerate. Yes. And for those of you who don't know, the cameo who plays the Mr. Softy guy is actually Christopher Jackson, otherwise known as George Washington and Hamilton. He was actually Benny in the original uh, Broadway cast of In the Heights. There's a, there's a whole Lin-Manuel Miranda verse. There, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, but the story really takes place over three or four days in the dead heat of, of the summer and a blackout. Uh, for those who love living in New York, uh, New York is actually not so great over the summer, right? The, the heat uh, reflecting off of the pavement. New York is hot. Most of the buildings are, are not uh, air conditioned. Uh, we see that with everybody blowing their air conditioners, causing the brownouts and the blackouts. And that's really the story. It's a story of love. It's a story of understanding identity. It's a story of home. Um, and it's a hip hop musical with salsa. Uh, it's, really a fun story. Mike, what did you think? Uh, I, I loved it. I mean, it was just uh, an absolute uh, blast from start to finish. You know, I uh, am a notorious movie crier. Um, and I, you know, um, basically, you know, was was a puddle from the opening credits. I mean, I just, uh, uh, just every every aspect of this movie um, was was just powerful moving. I saw a stage production of this uh, locally in Richmond, uh, the Virginia Repertory Theater, um, which is nearby me, uh, stage a production of it, um, uh, which was a, a professional production, uh, but obviously not uh, Broadway caliber. Um, and loved it then, you know, that was, that was meant at the time to scratch. I didn't really know much about the play um, other than hearing good things about it. Uh, when I went to see it, it was meant to scratch a Hamilton itch. I couldn't get tickets to Hamilton anywhere. It wasn't coming to Richmond anytime soon, but this was playing. So my wife and I said, okay, we'll, we'll go see that and, and love the show. Then, you know, this movie, uh, I'm sure the Broadway uh production would have blown that production out of the water but this movie you know was was just you know uh night and day i love that production too and i love fell in love with the play because of it uh but this movie was just just great i thought that the uh that the ensemble was was fantastic the music was uh gorgeous uh and beautifully performed uh the the the, the colors and cinematography and choreography were just extraordinary it's been a long time since i've seen a movie musical um uh quite like this i, I will say that i um was a fan of La La Land. I know that's controversial in some quarters. So I can't remember having that good a time in a movie 
musical since La La Land. Uh, and, uh, and I truly love this one. Um, lots of uh, the, the color cinematography, choreography, uh, acting, um, just, uh, just, just a real feast from start to finish. I wish our listeners could have seen my face when Mike said he's a big fan of La La Land. Um, that being said, I, listen, I think that uh, there's something to be said for uh, jazz being explained to us by Ryan Gosling. Um, I think that that was something missing in my life. Um, but other than that, I, I really uh, listen. This is not a podcast about La La Land. We can have that conversation. Uh, and I will tell you that you're wrong about La La Land. Uh, but, um, you know, we can we can we can have that conversation. <laughs> um, I also loved it. I think some we're talking about in the heights now in the heights okay some film adaptations of musicals fail because they just try to transfer the entire stage experience to the screen i think uh john m chu uh, really did a remarkable job at embracing uh film right creating a different narrative right spoilers ahead if you've seen the movie and if you've seen the broadway show right it starts out immediately differently um the, immediately the movie starts off with Usnavi on an island where believe we believe it's the Dominican Republic. The whole story is about him wanting to return to the DR uh, and telling the story about Washington Heights from the DR. And uh, that never happens in the play. So right away when you're watching the movie, you're thinking, are they telling a different story? Do they change the ending? Right. But they're really embracing uh, film uh, and storytelling over film uh, to tell it differently. Everything from uh, both the musical numbers, they cut a lot of the musical numbers just because there are a ton of musical numbers in the movie. Uh, I, I'm sorry, in, in the play. Uh, but the ones that they kept, I think were more impactful as a result. They rearranged them in some ways to make them more impactful. And then they really embraced the choreography for the large dance numbers, doing 96,000 outdoors in a pool when it didn't take place in a pool. It took place on, on, on the block uh, in the play, but in the movie, doing it at the pool was incredible. The dancing amazing, in the heights amazing sequence. was incredible. Um, everything from the dancing in, uh, in I would say, uh, when you're home, the when they're dancing on the building on the side of the building when the sun goes down, uh, both uh, the club dancing it was just really really great. Um, uh, I I loved it. Uh, I thought Anthony Ramos uh, was perfect. You know, a, a funny story. I read an interview that Lin Manuel Miranda was actually not going to be in the movie at all. He was just going to be a producer originally. He was going to star as Usnavi when they sold the film rights back in 2010 and then it was in sort of developmental hell until it finally came up with a, a way to make this work on film and you know 2020 right 10 years later right. he, he's like i'm too old to play with navi it doesn't work anymore he wasn't going to be in it and uh both john m chu and the screenwriter uh who also wrote was the writer of the play uh, who, who worked with him um uh Kiera Allegro Hoods, she said, uh, listen, we're thinking of, of cutting the Piragua, the Piragua guy, that there's no way to make him work in the story. He doesn't push the story along further. And Lynn was like, it's my favorite role. She's like, well, the only way that we 
are able to keep him in the film is if you play him because there's no way that the that the production company will cut your role and so that's how we ended up joining the production which is totally fun and great that it is fun and great although i wish um i wish they had actually cut that character from the movie i think that 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 it didn't really add anything to the to the narrative of the movie it didn't drive the story along and and it and it took me out of the movie it was like okay now i get to watch lin-manuel miranda for, for for three minutes which is always great i like i like lin-manuel miranda as much as the next guy but um uh, but it just it just kind of took me out of the out of the experience. If you did not think In the Heights was like an MCU film and did not stick around for a post credit scene, there is a post credit scene, a Paragua reprise with the Paragua guy uh, increasing his prices in the middle of the blackout when the Mr. Softy truck breaks down. That's funny. I actually didn't see the post credit scene, so I have to go back and look at that. We usually stick around and, and wait. My uh, daughter has been conditioned by Marvel movies to stick around and wait for post credit sequences, but we didn't do it this time around. Um, so I'll have to go back and check on it. Um, I, I think it's I think it's worth talking about. You know, since we talked about Lynn, um, you know, some of the performances in this uh, in in this movie that were standouts to me. You know, of course. Uh, Anthony Ramos as Usnavi, I think, uh, put in a, a great performance. The great Jimmy Smith's always extraordinary was was great in this too. Uh, I personally thought Leslie Grace's performance as Nina um, was just uh, extraordinary. Uh, I hope that we're talking about her again uh, come award season. And, and speaking of which, I, I hope that we talk about um, Olga Meredith, um, uh, yes, uh, who played who Abuela. Also, she was also was Abuela during in the stage production. Yeah. 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 Uh, so you know, and and especially the the number Paciencia y Fe in the movie i know it was uh, different from the stage production uh, both in terms of its placement in the movie and its role in the narrative uh but it's it's staging choreography in the film is just extraordinary and something to behold olga meredith uh, puts in an, an incredible performance uh, in that number in particular, but in the whole movie. And I think that we're going to probably be talking about her again come awards season time too. I hope so. Uh, but what do you think about this um, uh, now, you know, increasingly uh, prevalent criticism of the film, this, you know, film obviously unique in, in many ways featuring uh, a mostly uh, entirely Latinx uh, cast um, but also with uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda and John M. Chu uh, coming under uh, some pretty intense criticism in, from some quarters uh, for uh, falling short on Afro-Latino representation in, in the Heights. You know, I, that was noteworthy to me even before I knew that there was a, uh, a problem. You know, I think I, I, when I think of um, uh, uh, Dominicanos, Dominicanas, uh, I think of them as being darker skinned uh, Latinx people. Uh, and, and, you know, other um, uh, Afro-Latino cultures uh, not being represented uh, in, in the film, too. It was noteworthy to me even before I knew that there was criticism of it. And then it was then kind of unsurprising to me that the criticism existed. What do you make of all that, uh, all that noise? Yeah, I want to acknowledge first that where two white men have, having this conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and not just about this particular conversation, but the entire movie. Um, I think that we just need to recognize the perspective that we bring to this um, is is inadequate 
um, uh, to the task of really kind of unpacking the significance of, of all of these issues. But, you know, we, we, we were what we got for today. Absolutely. Um, I think my job um, is to listen to people of color when they talk about representation. Um, this controversy started um, in an interview with The Roots. Uh, the interviewer asked the cast, uh, you know, what their thoughts were on it. Uh, to his credit, um, Lynn wrote. Felice Leon is the is the um, uh, writer for the roots that, uh, that that first kind of leveled this criticism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what Lynn wrote was uh, I started writing in the Heights because I didn't feel seen. Remember, he wrote this as, as a student at Wesleyan when he was in college in like 99. Right. And over the past 20 years, all, all I wanted was for us, all of us to feel seen. I'm seeing the discussion around Afro-Latino representation in our film this weekend, and it's clear that many in our dark-skinned Afro-Latino community don't feel sufficiently represented within it, particularly among the leading roles. I can hear the hurt and frustration over colorism of feeling still unseen in the feedback. I hear that without sufficient dark-skinned Afro-Latino representation, the work feels extractive of the community we wanted so much to represent with pride and joy. And trying to paint a mosaic of this community, we fell short. I'm truly sorry. And I'm learning from the feedback. I thank you for raising it and I'm listening. I'm trying to hold space for both the incredible pride in the movie we made and be accountable for our shortcomings. Thanks for your honest feedback. I promise to do better in my future projects and I'm dedicated to the learning and evolving we all have to do to make sure we're honoring our, our diverse and vibrant community. Siempre LMM. Um, I think, first of all, it's, it's powerful for him to acknowledge that and important for him to acknowledge that. I also want to say, again, I acknowledge that everything I'm saying is as a white man, but I, I want to say how important I believe the important role that Lemignon Miranda has played in breaking down barriers of representation. Right. There were many who, uh, uh, many of the producers of Hamilton, the initial original producers who were questioning whether or not he could cast people of color in right. the leading roles. And that was very important to him uh, to make sure that the cast of Hamilton represented uh, what he saw as today's America. Uh, so I think you can celebrate what he's done in, in the Heights with this film while also still acknowledging the shortcomings and that he fell short. I think one of the problems is that there are so few films representing the Latino and Latina community in this country. So, right, so that when there is a single film that does it and doesn't fully represent uh, the diversity, the diversity of the Latinx community, then it's seen as a shortcoming. Uh, I hope that this is a catalyst for more stories about the Latinx community. Yeah, I, I, um, I think that that's an important point. I, I listened to an interview with Felice Leon uh, yesterday on NPR and, and uh, the interviewer, um, I think it was Ari Shapiro, brought up uh, Miranda's uh, um, statement about the criticism. And her reaction was that it was insufficient, right? That, that you know, she said, like, we're constantly being told to, you know, wait until the next project. Um, and, uh, and we're tired of waiting around till the next project, you know, that, uh, that, that, uh, that this, that this is a problem that should be solved yesterday and not today. I, I'm sympathetic, um, to that point of view and, 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 you know, 
frankly, like my my opinion about it uh, is is relatively insignificant because if people don't feel um, uh, seen and reflected on the screen and can see their stories and their experiences right. uh, and their image reflected on the screen, um, it's problematic. I I have never really had that experience in my life, at least as a as a, a white presenting person. Yeah. I, I think that there are problems. With I would add as a white man also. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. And. and as a white cisgender straight man too, um, you know, uh, the, now there, I think there are problems with Jewish representation uh, sometimes in, in Hollywood. I think that there's problems in the Jewish community with how we represent ourselves, you know, something 10, 11, 12, maybe higher percentage of the American Jewish community uh, is, uh, is are, are people of color. Um, but, you know, they're, they're, they're woefully underrepresented for sure in leadership positions within the Jewish community, but even in the like front facing, you know, imagery that we present about ourselves uh, in the world, how we, the stories we tell about ourselves, the way we talk to and about ourselves don't um, uh, represent and don't reflect uh, the, 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 uh, the, um, the ubiquity of people of color within the Jewish community too. So this is a problem that that we're confronting and wrestling with and trying to grapple with. I know in my community, I assume in yours too. Yeah, I've, absolutely. Um, you right. I don't want to suggest that I am um, not hearing right somebody's criticism. I, I acknowledge that. Um, some feel that that Lin-Manuel Miranda's apologies was insufficient. Um, however, the only thing that we can do is move on and be better in the future. Um, right? There, there, there's no going back to remake this movie. Um, the criticism may be warranted, but the only thing that can be done is him, which I hope he will do, is learn from from his mistakes moving forward. Uh, well, and I think I think I think two things are are necessary here. One is to to actually raise the criticism. I, you know, I'm 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 personally grateful that the criticism was raised. I don't think. I mean, I had the you know, like I said, I had that kind of nagging thought in my mind, but um, but I'm not sure that I would have you know, uh, taken to the streets about it. Um, but I'm glad that there are people who are, who are raising up the issue and making their voices heard. I think that needs to go in hand in hand with like, we, we all, not only because it's a great movie, um, that helps, but like the more people, you know, pay to see these movies, um, that, uh, that, that, you know, have a more diverse representation of people who are not, uh, typically, um, reflected on the screen, the more Hollywood will make them. You know, that's how I felt about, we didn't talk about Raya and the last dragon, um, which I, which I loved, but I, I shelled out the $30 on premiere access on Disney to see it. Cause I, cause I'm like, listen, you know, I could wait to just have it uh, for free on Disney plus. That's what I, but I want, but I want, I want to, you know, I, I was hearing such great things about it. I want Disney to, and other people to see like, um, you know, uh, um, uh, Movies that uh, that that center um, stories of uh, people of color, people of Asian descent, um, uh, that uh, that they um, that they, they keep make, make, making those movies because they see that they're profitable. I think that that is absolutely true. Um, I think it's hard to also judge how profitable a movie can be. 
in, in this moment in time, uh, writes that this was, uh, I think, has underperformed the box office right now. I watched it on HBO Max. I will continue to watch on HBO Max. By the way, I was super excited that all these Warner Brothers releases were going to be on HBO Max. So far, this is the movie that I've been most excited about and um, most entertained by out of all these these uh, theatrical releases that are going out on HBO Max simultaneously as well for streaming. Um, I, I think the feedback is is warranted, but again, I maybe it's just because I'm a big Lin-Manuel Miranda stan. Right, I, I trust him at his word that he's going to learn from from his mistakes. Um, I believe he's somebody who has been there for the Latinx community. Right, he went to Puerto Rico after hurricanes, after our country's government and administration ignored the island, and he went there. He put on performances of Hamilton solely to raise money for hurricane relief. Um, so, so I, I take him at his word. Um, if we get a transition back to the story itself, yeah, Mike, I think that there were two things that stood out that I said that were real changes in the storyline from the play. One was that Sonny was a dreamer. It was sort of towards the end of the movie, but that he was an undocumented immigrant. Uh, and the second was they, about- they, inter- they introduced a you know uh, a subplot about uh, the dreamers and undocumented people, uh, you know, earlier in the movie, and then it was revealed right. a little a little later. Um, and then the second part was about Nina in college. In the play, she loses her scholarship because she has to work in so many jobs and then her grades fail. Uh, in the movie, she talks about not wanting to go back uh, in a specific instance where she was searched, right? Uh, an instance of right. racial profiling. She was one of the few Latina uh, faces in her dorm on her campus. I'm wondering what you make of those two subplots added to the story and why. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, First of all, it's interesting that, um, that, you know, uh, the, the, that, that Miranda, that John M. Chu, you know, felt like uh, the, the issues raised by the original play were, um, you know, insufficiently timely um, they needed to introduce new topics that are more part of the present conversation than um, than gentrification, uh, than than you know the immigrant experience, than identity. You know that that those weren't able to kind of stand on their own, um, and so there was an element of it to me that felt like um, I, you know I would have preferred not to see new. Um, topics introduced, woven into the story. I think they did a decently good job of weaving them into the narrative. I, you know, I think that you could have had written another play about the dreamers, about that experience, about um, that place. On the other hand, I suspect that, you know, um, that, that had they not um, brought in the experience of undocumented people into a, uh, a story about the, um, Latino, the Latinx experience in, in America, people would have leveled the criticism that that you know that 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 part of the community was not represented, was unseen, and they wait that they missed an opportunity. So I can kind of see um, why they did it. I just don't know if it fully worked for me. Um, that uh, that they that they it felt kind of um, uh, uh, stuffed in. Um, however. I will say that, you know, that, that, 
those moments in the movie were powerful, like powerfully done. So, the the actor who plays uh, Sonny, um, it was was just a standout performance. I for, I'm looking up his uh, name right now. I don't have it off the top of my head. Greg, Gregory Diaz. Gregory Diaz. Thank you. Um, great performance and. Um, and there was, you know, that packed an emotional wallop when, uh, spoiler alert, when uh, Usnavi uh, gives uh, um, Abuela's uh, lottery money to uh, Sonny to fight his uh, immigration case. Um, and uh, and uh, uh, Nina uh, uh, revealing her story of uh, being profiled, being otherized uh, at, uh, at, at Stanford. Um, was was powerful, you know. I mean, uh, you know, it was is just well performed. Uh, that certainly uh, that certainly helped by um, uh, by uh, um, by Leslie Grace, excuse me. Um, uh, you know, just uh, so I, you know, I, I, I that hit me. Um, and I think that, you know, looking at this movie from a Jewish lens, right, um, you know, all of those uh, experiences, uh, you know, uh, resonate with with Jewish values. I mean, I think that, you know, at, at, it, at its core, right, um, uh, you know, Jewish perspective on the immigrant experience is, is, you know, tied into seeing every human being as having been created in God's image, right? That no human being is illegal, uh, that, uh, that, that we are, uh, as human beings, people of everywhere, according to the Midrash, God created the first human being by taking, uh, uh, earth from the four corners of the earth and mingling them together so that no, and the Midrash says this lays this out specifically. So nobody would say like, my place of origin is greater than your place of origin. Origin, um, that we are uh, inherently uh, people that belong to everywhere, um, uh, and uh, and you know we 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 don't hold the right of of exclusivity um, to anybody anywhere. We are we are an immigrant people, right? All of those things, uh, and that also for for that reason, um, you know that uh, that the sort of you know uh, uh, caste system that exists in America that has existed in America since its uh, founding. Um, where race is the kind of primary uh, um, uh, vehicle for identifying which caste you are in flies in the face of Jewish values. So that story of uh, being profiled, um, that sort of dehumanizing story of being profiled, um, you know, reminds me as a Jewish person, um, the, the work that that I feel called to do, that I think feel we as Jews are called to do, um, to uh, to to uh, work toward a society um, in which uh, um, in which nobody has to have that experience. How did you feel about those uh, stories, those subplots? There is a line that Abuela says when she's looking at this stitching that um, Nina's mother did in the cloth napkins. By the way, Nina's mother is, is another character who is in the play, but taken out of the story as a whole. She's deceased in the, in the movie. Um, and she says, it's these little things so that we're not forgotten to make sure that we are seen. And I think that that was really what's, they were trying to do by talking about racial profiling, by talking about dreamers. Um, if these are things that are on the minds of the Latinx community in this country, to not acknowledge them in the movie right. would, 
um, you, you know, in his statement about lack of Afro-Latino representation, Lin-Manuel Miranda said he understands that without that, it could seem almost extracted from the community without acknowledging these issues, especially I would say right during the Trump administration, but not only during the Trump administration, um, that these are real issues right. that, that the Latino community faces that uh, I think it was important to acknowledge them. So yeah, I think seen that right. There was another key moment when Abuela dies at the end of Paciencia y Fe, um, which again is a difference than how the storyline goes in the in the stage performance. But um, she dies during the blackout in the dark, and it speaks to how so many in communities of color, so many in low income communities, end up dying because of. Uh, blackouts. We, we look at the the numbers in COVID. How many uh, people in this country were people of color who died of COVID, for example? And that are they just forgotten, dying in the darkness of a blackout? Um, while her entire block came to honor her and remember her, uh, mm. is she even acknowledged at all? That's right. I think it's important to to note something that you said, right? That uh, that first of all, the movie uh, was in development during the Trump administration. So the issues that were very present um, and alive during the Trump years, uh, I think are, 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 you know, probably significantly influenced the film. Uh, although the, the original production was, was written before the, the Trump years. Uh, and it's, it's also, like you said, important to recognize that, that a lot of those issues are still present and haven't been resolved. You know, we, we, we haven't yet uh, resolved uh, the the plight of the dreamers. We haven't yet um, uh, had comprehensive immigration reform that that grants a pathway to citizenship for those who are um, uh, uh, who came into this country um, uh, unlawfully. Um, you know, uh, we we haven't solved the uh, migrant crisis at the border. Um, uh, lifted up, resolved the underlying issues helped resolve the underlying issues in, in some of the, uh, some Central American uh, countries that, you know, produce um, uh, the, so much of the, um, so many of the conditions that um, drive people to, uh, to, to want to risk everything to, um, to, um, to migrate to the United States. Your Vice President Harris, you know, just went down to Central America and with the message, you know, don't come to the U.S., Right. Um, so, you know, it's it's clear that at least, you know, the politics of, of immigration haven't changed all that much in America. Since yeah, I was deeply disappointed with her when, when she said that, um, you know, bringing it back to the movie for a second. The beauty of Carnival del Barrio is they're all talking about their roots and where they come from. Uh, right. The, the DR, Puerto Rico, Mexican, uh, Mexico, Chile. And, and ultimately what they're saying is like, America is a melting pot. Like they're all American. They're proud of the roots where they came from. Uh, and they're all American. Uh, and right. Our, our or, or maybe, maybe not a melting pot, but a, maybe not a melting pot, but like a, a, a salad or a, or, you know, a, a paella or something like that. I don't want to be uh, reductive about it. Right. But that every, every, uh, uh, everything kind of like retains uh, its uniqueness and its specialness, right. A melting pot, everything sort of like absorbs into the, becomes kind of brown mush. 
right? But uh, but in in a, in a you know a salad or or some kind of like everything is still its own unique thing, but contributes to the um, to the kind of like larger dish and also kind of can absorb some of the tastes and some of the flavors of everybody else too at the same time. So there's a, a give and take to it. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that the movie in some ways, it's, it's a shame that that the conversation about representation um, sort of detracts from this message, but it's a celebration of the of, of how, you know, in particular neighborhoods like Washington Heights, but but in reality, what makes America great um, is that um, is that you know we can be a place um, for all of these distinct uh, peoples and cultures to to come together to con- to make their own contributions um, to uh, to be in the fullness of what of of what and who they are um, and also um, uh, contribute to this shared project of of you know what a of one of the of the first you know multi-ethnic multi-racial uh democracies in um in in human history that that should be the goal of america right to, to represent and look like uh what's un barrio of washington heights looks like um right. You know, I, I want to just touch upon, and I think some ways it mirrors the struggle that Jews have in the, in the Jewish journey as a people of who are wanderers. The fascination of one generation uh, left, um, taking Usnavi, for example, his parents left the Dominican Republic to give them this better life in, in Washington Heights, um, even though, right, they, they acknowledge the struggle of living in that, in such an urban setting. Uh, and he desired to actually leave Washington Heights and go back to the Dominican Republic. Um, that he actually saw that returning to his roots as a better life for him. What do you make of that? Right. I, you know, I, listen, I think that, um, uh, that, that feels relevant to, um, to a, a lot of, conversations uh that uh, that that take place within the jewish community you know first is you know the the trajectory of the immigrant experience in in, in america the jewish immigrant experience in america which is unique in jewish history in some ways and most for the most part in jewish history you know uh we were immigrants in places um but we kind of you know we retained our own very kind of uh, isolated ethnic enclaves. You know, we had varying degrees of interaction relationship with the outside culture, uh, but we were always, you know, a people set apart, right? And the difference in, in America is that we, you know, even though obviously there, there was and remains uh, anti-Semitism present in America, um, the, the, the nature of what America is and the project of America enabled um, Jews to become, you know, integrated parts of American society in, in, in much more full and rich ways than, than really we ever had in any other place where, where Jews had lived. So, um, so that meant that the immigrant experience was um, that, you know, that, that uh, especially Eastern European Jewish immigrants, um, German Jewish immigrants, uh, uh, other European Jewish immigrants, the ones who could pass for white, um, and could become then absorbed into white culture, um, you know, uh, may have come over as, you know, uh, as foreign others, 
and may have struggled in those ways in the first generation. Uh, but by the second generation, by the first native-born American generation, um, you know, we're, we're much more integrated into American society. And as a consequence, um, often um, uh, much less connected to their Jewish roots and, and Jewish identity. And by the third generation and fourth generation and beyond, which is what we're getting to now, um, uh, you know, even more detached from their roots. And so, and you have, uh, um, I think, uh, a kind of uh, um, the, 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 the duality, the polarization that I think in part exists within the Jewish community today are people who are, you know, um, re-exploring their Jewish roots and right. wanting to dive more deeply, uh, immerse themselves in it, whether that is in, you know, uh, uh, going in one direction into the Orthodox world and, and kind of becoming, you know, reattaching yourself to your Jewish roots in that way, or, uh, you know, in some other way, right, uh, you know, uh, um, within the liberal Jewish community, right, that exists here. There's, and then there's also, you know, uh, on the other side, people who might, you know, retain some kind of like cultural sense of Jewishness, right, uh, but but not really be part of uh, Jewish community, Jewish practice, Jewish tradition in any um, significant sense of, of, the, of, of, of the term. Um, and then on the other hand, right, people who say, you know, if I'm going to um, uh, really embrace who I am, um, I've got to go, you know, to Israel, right? Uh, somewhere where, you know, where I can be part of my people and be part of, you know, a, a sort of collective project, a, a sort of a Jewish majority, um, which is its which is its own thing. Although my, my experience oftentimes when I go to Israel, um, even when I've lived in Israel, um, is that I am, um, I'm not Israeli, you know, so it's a it's a new identity. I, I worried for that for Usnavi. He's going to move back to the Dominican Republic, but he's going to find when he's there. Spoiler alert: He doesn't actually move. I, right, but I, but but like my my anxiety about him uh, making that move is he's going to go there and feel like okay, you know, like like I'm not being fully accepted as Dominican here. People are seeing me as American. Right. When I go to Israel, people don't see me as uh, as a Jew like them. They see me as an American. Yeah. You know, I, I think some of it is that I also feel that my Judaism is strengthened here in the diaspora by being around people that are different than me. Right. That it makes me want to hold on to it more. I sort of worry being in a people only like me. Um where I may take that for granted. You often find that also with people who live in smaller Jewish communities, their connection, their deep connection to the community is stronger than people who live in larger Jewish communities. Uh, the need to be around your people and find your people is greater. Um, you know, my, my last question for you, Mike, there's this storyline, this underlying storyline, the, the movie begins and the play begins talking about El Suanito, um, the little Suenito, dream. Suenito. Suenito. It's a, a sueño is a, is, is a, is a dream. An enye, uh, yes. not an ma. Thank you. My um, high school it, and college Spanish. You're welcome. Um, it's a, 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 the little dream and how everybody has their dreams. Everybody in the community right? Um, believing that a dream 
will become a, a reality, right? A sort of imtertsu enzo agada, if you will. Right. It, it is no dream. Um, in a community that sort of, the, the movie itself was about everyday life, right? It was about going to work. It was about going home. The, the initial uh, opening song where they're showing parents brushing their kids' hair and making breakfast and getting dressed and going out the door, right? That was powerful. That That is life, the everyday. And yet the everyday doesn't stop them from having their little dreams, whether it's moving to the Dominican Republic or moving to apartment in the village or graduating Stanford or being a business owner or whatever it may be. Right. I mean, I think that, in, you know, for, for, for many of them, the everyday is a, a pathway to the dream or maybe is the dream itself. Right. And that, you know, now that we, now that we're talking about it, that, that does make the dreamer subplot um, uh, feel much more at home in the story and in the play uh, than, than I might've originally given it credit for because dreaming is really the theme of the, of, of, of the story. Um, right. It's, it's, I think, you know, very resonant for me, uh, Jewishly, you know, we, we now have been, uh, reciting, uh, Psalm 121, uh, every Shabbat morning, uh, coming back, uh, into in-person worship in, in the sanctuary. At some point we'll probably, uh, phase it out because it'll be, you know, uh, we'll, we'll stop being like returning and we'll just be there. Um, but the idea of Psalm 121 is, uh, you know, it's a Psalm of ascent. Um, uh, about the restoration of Zion, uh, but a lot of uh, it, it reads as uh, as though um, uh, uh, you're. It's talking about like uh, from a perspective of a person who who was actually restored to Zion, uh, and you know it says Hayinu kechomim. We were like dreamers, uh, and the impression you get from it as a modern reading it is like you're kind of like in a trance-like state. It's like so amazing that you're there, but that's actually not what most biblical scholars say that that uh, that the psalm is referring to. It's referring to actually was written by people who were still in exile, and the way the the way Tanakh in Tanakh the idea of dreaming is used is is prophetic. Right. Is, you know, we're, we're imagining what the future might be like. Right. And that's what a dream is, I think, in Jewish tradition is an imagination of what the future might be like, such that propels you to work toward its fulfillment. Right. That's, I think, what what Herzl meant with, you know, if you if you will it, it is not a dream. Right. You If you make it come to be, it's right. not a fantasy. And what ends up happening and this is right where the movie really differentiates itself from the play uh, the play ends with Uznavi saying, I'm staying and I'm going to have a second date with Vanessa. The movie fast forwards to him marrying Vanessa, them having a kid uh, and turning his bodega into El Suanito, right? That he realized he had been living his dream all along and he didn't even appreciate it. That by living it, um, by, by, by experiencing the blessings all around him, then he sees his dream fulfilled, his dream come true, rather than saying, looking at what could be, he was looking at what was, right? Is. Right, uh, which I loved, right? And that, um, and that, you know, the, uh, we think of dreams as being sort of like lofty ideals, uh, but they, they require, you know, persistent effort to pursue and to build, right? So when, when Martin Luther King uh, said, you know, I have a dream, right? Um, he wasn't, he wasn't talking about a fantasy that he had. 
but it, there was a recognition in it that it required you know real engaged significant work to build that dream into fulfillment right and uh, and that was part of the recognition that was i think nina's recognition is that you know my my dream doesn't need to be to uh become a big success at, uh you know the one who got out right um but uh but um i can work through the difficulties and use those experiences to build something uh, uh better for me back home and better for everybody else back home too absolutely um so go ahead could take uh the one train if you want or or as he sings take the, the one, eight train the, oh uh, yeah or the, the, i love the line you know take the one nine train uh and, and the uh, nine then, doesn't exist anymore the nine right? doesn't exist anymore yep um but you can take it to uh fort washington and 185th street uh, and check out washington heights and uh Go to HBO Max or in theaters now and check out uh, Lemanuel Miranda's and John Chu's In the Heights. Until next time, I'm Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. Take care, everyone. Siempre. <laughs>